0: Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon, S- S- and this man was watches at the font waiting. For the, the concession of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon them I mean upon him and it had been revealed to him by the, the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said,
1: Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marvelled at what was said about him.
2: This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, guys. Let's uh, let's thank Mark and Tyler, and for that time, man. Amen. Well, now, um, as we as we uh, prepare to get into our, our time there in the sermon and in in God's word, um, I uh, I'm excited to introduce um, a, a good friend of mine who's going to be preaching this morning. Um, uh, some of you have asked, like do you work anymore? I didn't preach last week and um, this week uh, there's a lot more than preaching let's just be honest here it goes into my role but no I'm really excited um, because God has really provided a, 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 some really gifted and godly um, people to, to help lead l- our church and so last week we got to hear from S- Stephen doing an incredible job preaching about um, Jesus and his family the r- r- refugees and so this week um, I'm, I'm again excited to have a, a good friend of mine Jared Carter is going to be preaching Um, this week, and he can explain and build up there to that. But I I love Jared. He and his uh, family have become dear friends of ours, some of our uh, longest friends since we moved back here to um, Tucson. So with that, will you guys welcome up Jared Carter?
1: Thank you very much. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Yeah. How's everybody doing? We're a week out. Kind of scary. Um, so today I'm going to be preaching through uh, this this portion of Luke that we just heard. One of my favorite portions of Scripture, and I'll get into that a little bit. What was really cool is I actually got to preach um, the same week last year from the same portion of text, and I never, I didn't think that I would get that opportunity again. So it's really cool for me to be able to to come up here and do that. Um, so thank you for that opportunity. Uh, If you do not have a Bible with you before we jump into this, would you go ahead and just raise your hand? We have some people here who would like to give you a Bible. If you don't have one, you can keep this Bible as your own. If you need one in Spanish, just let them know you want one in Espanol. They'll grab you one. Um, We want you to have a Bible you can read in your own language. And you get to to keep those. And if you're like me and you have five of them at home, it's time to start bringing them back. (laughs) All right? Um, Looking at... somebody else talking that sounds like a robot. Um, (laughs) Looking at at the week ahead, uh, we're we're one week out from Christmas. Um, this This is for some people a really exciting time of year. And it's also for other people a not so exciting time of year. It can be a little stressful. It can be a little hard. In fact, it's, uh, it's known to be, for many people, perhaps the most depressing time of the year. And I've found in my own personal experience that seemed, what seems to have changed is just growing older. By God's grace, when I was young, I hadn't experienced a whole lot in terms of loss. Some, some of you did. Some of you did. But for the most part, when we're young, we don't experience a lot of that. But as you grow older, you experience more loss, and you experience longings that go unsatisfied. You become more aware of your own brokenness. Christmas becomes less about what you're going to get. It becomes more about what you had and what you don't have anymore. And I said this last year, and I imagine that I'll say it for the rest of my life, but the Christmas season, I think, more than any other time of year, really shines a light on our losses. You know, I was thinking of a, for myself, um, my parents got a divorce three years ago. I never thought that that would, as an adult, like that would have an effect on me. You think, okay, that's really hard on kids, right? But as, as an adult, that was really surprisingly difficult. And as hard as it was in February, it didn't really hurt hurt <laughs> Until December, and I can remember three years ago that Christmas getting a letter from my dad containing uh, cards for my kids um, with some money in them, and just realizing that he wasn't going to be there on Christmas morning, and that for the first time in thirty years, um, he yeah, he wasn't going to be there. That was hard. And it's felt that way kind of every Christmas since. And though it's gotten better, there's still always, it's always shining a light on the fact that, that he's not there. And I love my dad and I miss my dad. And that, that can be hard. And, and many of you in here have experienced greater losses even than that. We've experienced loss of relationship. We've experienced broken relationships. But some of you in here, people who are very close to me in this room, you've lost family to death. And every Christmas, they're for about a month. I mean, birthdays are hard, right? And there's certain dates that are difficult. But they're from about November through December. There's just this constant reminder around the holiday season that they're not going to be here anymore. And that can be really difficult. And you find yourself feeling the weight of that. And, And it also can apply to jobs. I mean, have you ever lost a job? Have you ever lost a job in July compared to losing a job in December? It hurts when you lose a job in July, but man, there's something about the festivities and the lights and the presents and all the happy families and the singing and everything that you hear, and you look around. It just feels heavier. And even so, with our longings, we find that it shines a light on our brokenness, but we also find our longings increasing. Some of you in here are uh, single, I have a lot of friends here who are older, single, godly people who around the holidays, they, they long to be joined together with somebody the rest of the year, but there's something about that month that feels so much more lonely. Again, you feel lonely in July, but it feels much more lonely in December. Or you find yourself longing for a better job. You find yourself longing for better work so you can provide a better Christmas, right, for your kids. Have a bigger, better Christmas next year. And as if that isn't enough, as if Christmas isn't, you know, it's like it's, it's hitting us with our losses, it's hitting us with our longings, and then simultaneously, it's exposing our brokenness because it's a stressful time of year. We're worried about shopping, we're worried about all these things that we have to, the people that we have to provide for, we're, we're spending a lot of nights out. If you're a socially anxious person, this is a, an extremely difficult time of year for you, right? You're the one that goes to the Christmas party and you're like, where's the alcohol? I need something. You find yourself yelling at your kids, you find yourself yelling at your father-in-law because of politics, right? Right? And the whole time that this is happening, and this is what I love about Christmas, I think it's, it's fun, the whole time that Christmas, the Christmas season is doing this to you, it's singing about how wonderful it is. Do you notice that? <laughs> like, literally, you're on the floor, like, please, Christmas, stop. And it's like, I'm the most wonderful time <laughs> of the year. And it's like, what? who came up with that? <laughs> no, that's not true. Not for all of us, right? Again, some of you, you're like, I don't understand what you're saying. I'm really excited, and that's awesome. But for many of us, this is, a, this is a hard time of year. And I think just as a church, as Christians, we need to be able to be sensitive to the fact that there are people in here who, for them, um, this is a really difficult week. It's going to be hard. What do we do with that? There's a couple things that I think we try to do as we, as we try to deal with this brokenness and these longings and this loss. Um, One, we we tend to try and attempt to change our perspective. There's wisdom in looking at the brighter side of things. There's wisdom in being grateful for what you do have in light of what you've lost. There's wisdom in that. It's, It's not a bad thing. But it's also not completely fulfilling. It's not completely satisfying to just look at the the bright side of things and sometimes as christians this is what we attempt to do with somebody who's hurting is we come alongside them and rather than acknowledging the weight of their loss and what they're dealing with and what they're going through we say you know just look at the bright side you lost your job well at least you have your health but you know what the thing is about health you may not have it tomorrow you're certainly not going to have it forever well, you have your health, but you lost your job. You lost your job. You have your job. You lost your health. All of it. It's just like, it's not enough. You know what I mean? And so not only that, do we try to change the way that we perceive those things, but we also try to just change our circumstances. So we look at this Christmas and we go, next year, things are going to be better. Before next Christmas, I'm going to better myself. Again, nothing wrong with that, right? We look and we go, I'm going to get that better job. I'm going to, I won't be single next Christmas. I'm going to put myself out there, right? Not satisfying because there's no guarantee that it's going to happen. And what you'll even find more so is when you do receive those things that you think are going to replace that lack, eventually they begin to lack as well and you find that they weren't as fulfilling as you previously believed. So what do we do? What do we do with that? I'll tell you what I think we should do. We shouldn't just try to look at the bright side of things. We shouldn't just try to to look at our circumstances and go, hey, at least I got this, at least I got that. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't just try to try to fix it. Again, those things are not bad in and of themselves, but they're not enough. What we need to do is, rather than changing the circumstances surrounding what we hope in, rather than changing the way we think about what we hope in, we need to change what we hope in. It's not a cure-all in terms of it's going to make Christmas not hard, but it is going to give us the power to endure many Christmases for many years, I believe. We're going to read the story today of a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. And what we're going to see in Simeon, what we're going to see in Anna, I think, is what it looks like when, as Christians, we wait faithfully on the Lord. Simeon and Anna faithfully wait on the Lord, and they are satisfied. Their hope is fulfilled. I think they stand as a great example for us. So let's read this scripture. We're going to start in Luke chapter 22, a little earlier than the scripture that we read um, this morning, beginning in verse 22, Luke 2, 22. And before we do, let's pray. Father, I pray that as we are reading your word this morning, Lord, as we've kind of just gone into a place that was a little uh, difficult for, for most of us, um, I, I pray, Lord, that you would now, uh, as we are reading, um, you, would give us, you would give us the hope of Simeon, that you would give us the hope of Anna, and the brokenness and the loss and the longings that we felt that we would not forsake those, Lord, but that we would allow them to point us to you. That they would cause us to gaze up, not around, but to gaze up and to see Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Luke 2.22 says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, which is Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So let me give you a little context for what we're reading here. Okay, Mary and Joseph are doing, they're they're participating in a tradition that God has ordained, that's been taking place for years, for centuries. The way that it would originally work in—and let me see if I can make this less confusing. It might make it more confusing, depending on your background. But the way that it would originally work is that um, God would require that every family offer up their firstborn in service to the Lord to serve the duties of a priest um, for the rest of their life. Every firstborn male in every family— and as history goes on, God rescues his people out of Egypt. He takes them into the desert. They sin while they're in the desert. And shortly after that, God says, no longer am I going to take the firstborn male for service unto me. I'm going to take the Levites, this one tribe, and they will carry out the duties as priests for my nation. But after that, he says, the rest of you, all the other families, when you have your firstborn son, you're not giving him up in dedication to me. I want you to make a sacrifice. And you offer up the sacrifice and redemption for your son's life. So rather than giving him up to me in service and, and dedication as a priest, you keep him, but you have to redeem him. And this tells us a few things. One, it tells us that Mary and Joseph were very righteous, that they were very devout, that they actually cared about what God said. Because not everybody did this, but they did this. They made this journey. It also tells us that they were poor. Because the example that's given a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, what Luke doesn't say, but everybody at that time probably would have understood, is that the normal sacrifice at this time was not pigeons and turtle doves. It was a lamb. And God made an exception You know, we've been talking the last few weeks about the unexpected story of Christmas. And this is part of what makes it unexpected. God cares about the poor. And he makes an exception for the poor and says, you can offer up, if you don't have the luxury of providing a lamb, you can offer up these birds instead. And they do. And what's fascinating about this to me, if you think about Mary and Joseph going into the temple... This is kind of an aside, but if you think about them going into the temple, isn't it pretty amazing to think that they're carrying God in their arms? Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, as Dave likes to say, God con carne, right? God with meat. Emmanuel, God with us, is taken into the temple as a baby, the child of two young parents, into the temple that was created for the worship of himself, i got nothing to say after that, but that's just pretty amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. What's interesting, too, is that as they're bringing him in, for the most part, he goes completely unnoticed. God coming into the temple that was created for the worship of himself, unnoticed, largely, but not entirely. There was somebody there who knew who it was when he walked in. So let's meet Simeon. In the next verse, uh, beginning in verse 27, I'm sorry, beginning in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, the consolation of Israel, this was lost on me for a long time. I don't even think I realized it when I preached last year. But the consolation of Israel was essentially a name. And it was a name for the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. He would be known as the consolation of Israel. Simeon wasn't the person to to coin this term. The Jews had been saying it for years as they waited in anticipation they believe it started perhaps in Isaiah 49 where we see a lot of prophecy about the Messiah and about God sending his chosen servant, his suffering servant to save us, right? We see that throughout the book of Isaiah. And in that it says that the Lord is going to have compassion on his people and he will comfort his afflicted ones. So what Simeon is waiting for is comfort. Simeon's view of the Messiah is God coming to comfort his people. And it says that he was not going to die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now this doesn't tell us, the story doesn't tell us explicitly that Simeon was old. But we believe he was old. He's ready to die. He's at the age where he could die. But God has told him, you will not die until you see the Lord's Christ. And here's what I love about Simeon. Everybody else in that temple has an idea of what the Lord's Christ, what the Messiah, what this promised one should look like. And kind of like us, they're telling God what salvation needs to appear as. They're telling him what that Savior should look like. Just like we kind of tell God, this is what I need from you in order to be satisfied, in order to be happy. I need you to satisfy my longings, right? I need you to, 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 to fix my losses the way that I want you to. Simeon is, if you look at the way it's written, it says he was righteous and devout, and then immediately after waiting for the consolation of Israel. It flows. His righteousness, his being devout, directly leads to him waiting on the Lord. They are tied directly to one another. His righteousness and his being devout flowed into waiting on whatever it was that God was going to provide and how he was going to provide for the nation of Israel at that time. I can't even imagine this. I can't even begin to imagine. You wait all these years. Maybe at this time, people are just looking at you and they're saying you're a crazy old man because you continue to come back to the temple. You continue to wait on the Messiah to show up. And it's been hundreds of years since we've heard from God at this point. And he's waiting and he's waiting and maybe he's being disregarded. Maybe he's being passed over. One morning, filled with the Holy Spirit, he walks into the temple, and the Holy Spirit taps him on the shoulder as a young couple walks in. A young, poor, peasant couple walks in, holding a baby, and God says, that's him. Wow. Can you imagine? I... Let's just read it. Let's let it speak for itself. And he came in the spirit into the temple. Verse 27. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Look at that man's hope being satisfied. Look at that man's hope being satisfied. A lifetime of loss, a lifetime of longing, an awareness of his own brokenness, and everything in that moment is completely satisfied to the extent in which Simeon can say, now I can die. Wow. Wow. My son, my, many of you probably know, um, our four-year-old, his name's Simeon. We named him after the Simeon in the Bible. And it's because our prayer for not just him, but for all three of our sons, Amador, Simeon, and Elias. He thought I was calling on him. Our prayer for all of them is that they would grow up. with a firm hope in the Lord. Because when I look at my sons, and any of you who are parents in here, you look at your children, and you, you hope and you pray that their life would be okay, right? We want that for our kids. But experience has taught us that my sons are going to encounter loss. That our children are going to encounter deep longings that perhaps even tend to tear them away from the hope that is found in Jesus. That they're going to experience an awareness of their brokenness that is going to cause them either to despair or to cling to God. And so I pray for them all the time, Lord. I pray that my sons would grow up to put their hope in you and you alone. That you would give them a hope in something that is not perishable, but imperishable. To give them hope in something that is worthy of hope, something that is going to last. Because my hope is that when they're old men, that they too will be waiting on the Lord. Now listen, um, let's read some more. Okay, it says in verse 33, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, You see here, again, someone who's had a perhaps difficult life. We know that she has, right? She's 85. You know what the average life expectancy was during Jesus' time? 30 to 35 years old. She's 85 years old. She has outlived her husband. She has very likely outlived her children. By decades. She has outlived her friends. I mean, I used to work in an assisted living facility. And people there in their 80s, in an age when people lived to be much older, had lost so much at that point. She had lost everything. But her hope... Rather than causing her to despair, rather than causing her to hope in something else, her hope continues to drive her into the temple every day. She and Simeon waiting on the consolation of Israel, waiting on the salvation that comes from God. And when they see Jesus, they are completely satisfied. They are ecstatic. Their hope has been realized. What a beautiful example that is for all of us. How desperately we need Simeon and Anna how desperately we need to see followers of God followers of Jesus who know how to wait a lot of christianity is sold is like this you just pray it and then it just happens you just ask and you just say it and God'll just do for you that's not christianity You know what we're called to as Christians? We're called to wait. We are called to wait. We are called to be the best at waiting. That's what we're called to. And the reason that we're able to do that is because we look back at God fulfilling his promises in Jesus. And we look forward to Jesus returning. We look back and we see that God promised the Messiah. We look and we see a baby coming who grows up to be a man who never sinned, who died on a Roman cross. For the forgiveness of our sins and then not only died but rose again three days later so that we could know that we are saved. We look back at that. That is like the source of everything for us as Christians. We live out every other part of our life. Every other thing that we do as we seek to bring about the goodness of God's kingdom. It all starts with the person and work of Jesus. And then, then even as we're in the midst of that, we continue to look forward in anticipation That one day he's going to return and he's not going to come in the humility in which he first came, but he's going to come in, in glory and he's going to restore the created order and the communion and fellowship with God that we so desperately desire. We live in this place and nothing else in the middle of these two places is meant to be our end all. It's not meant to be the most satisfying thing. It's not meant to be what we put our hope in. We're looking back and we're looking forward. It allows us to live in the presence filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can endure. Right? But it's hard. It's hard. Thank God for Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna, like you and I, lived in between two hopes. It looked a little different for them. They looked back at God's faithfulness to his people, and they saw God leading his people out of Egypt. They they look at him splitting the Red Sea so that they could escape. They look at God bringing them into the promised land. They look at God promising and God fulfilling, and they say God has been So good to us in the past. God has been incredibly faithful to all of his promises. And there are promises that remain. And they would find their source of joy and endurance in the midst of trial and suffering by looking back and looking forward. God has fulfilled his promises. He has been good to us. He is going to fulfill his promises. And he is going to send the consolation of Israel. He is going to send the redemption. So we have here these two examples. And what I love about this story and where I think it fits really well into the whole theme of this Advent series is that God didn't choose a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old. He chose Old. He chose old. We are a young church, and we have a few people in here who are not that young. By God's grace. By God's grace, this is going to get a little awkward for those of you in here who have gray hair, okay? Because we're all going to be thinking about you, but it's fine. <laughs> we're all be looking at you. those of you who don't have gray hair but should have gray hair, we know. We know. We are so incredibly thankful that you are here serving as as an example to us. Do you know how desperately we as 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds 40-year-olds need 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds, to continually show us what it looks like to wait faithfully on the Lord through a lifetime full of loss and longings. Do you know how desperately we need that? We need that so bad. And praise God that you are here. You are so incredibly precious to this church. And I cannot, and I cannot tell you, I've, I've talked to so many of you because that's what we do is when you walk into the church, we pounce on you because we're so thankful that you're here, Right? we pounce on you and I talk to you and the first words out of your mouth and it's understandable is, man, this is a young church, <laughs> right? You never feel, I, I would imagine that if that's you today, you probably never feel as old as you feel when you walk into this place. In all seriousness. And sometimes that can leave you feeling like you're on the outside. Maybe you, you come in and, and you see younger people, and you think that somehow we're the ones carrying the torch. We're not. You are. And we're following your lead. I, as a young father, who is sure to see a lot of loss, I, as a young husband, who is going to have to battle a lot of brokenness and a lot of longing, it is so beneficial to me just to look behind me and to look to the left and look to the right and see people who have been walking faithfully with the Lord, with their arms lifted in the air and their voices singing out about God's goodness. When I know the depth of your loss and when I know what you have endured, it gives me hope. It gives me hope. And again, I know sometimes you come here and maybe you feel a little older here. I would also offer you this encouragement, like We all feel on the outside. Maybe yours is more evident, but that's one of the hardest things about being human is coming into any type of group and feel like you belong. We have single people here who, when they come to church on Sunday mornings, all they see is married. We have people without children or who cannot have children who come here and all they see is parents. We have minorities here who come here and all they see is white. I come here every week and all I see is educated. I've never lived in a place where when somebody introduces themselves to you, their first questions are, what is your name and where did you go to school? Like, that's new for me. It's like Coolidge High, you know? <laughs> I went to cooking school and I majored in dropping out. <laughs> all right? So I know what it's like to feel like you're on the outside sometimes. But here's the, here's the most beautiful thing. We're all still here. Because of Christmas, because Jesus came into the world, there is a room filled with people who would not be friends, who would not hang out under many different circumstances. But here we are. We're not only together. We love each other. We care for each other. If you, if you are old, you are so precious to this church. Just let that, let that be an encouragement to you. I want to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point my wife out here, okay? Because I think she her heart in this has been amazing to me. I, I like many of the young men here, think that I know everything <laughs> and feel like I have very little to learn from anybody. And I'm constantly repenting of that and I'm constantly working on that, right? But that's a struggle for me. That's like my default position as a young man. But my wife, there was a time when we were a part of a church where there were no older Christian women. There was none. I married a crier, okay? She's probably crying right now. You can go look at her. She's probably crying. <laughs> but it's because, it's because she actually thinks about things, and she thinks deeply on things. And I remember her crying when we were in this situation years ago because these women, where were they? And she would read in Scripture where it would talk about older women feeding into the lives of younger women, and she would long for that so desperately that she would be able to have that kind of relationship. One day, we went to a conference at a church that was in this gigantic retirement-like city, and it was a retirement city megachurch thousands of people and when we went in and you looked around it's like two stories just massive the the amount of gray hair in that place the amount of age in that place was staggering I in my in in my way of thinking I'm just like this is really cool and I'm a simple man I'm looking around going like if you added up all these ages (laughs) you'd have like a billion years right like this is amazing and we're singing songs, and we're getting into it. And once again, my wife is crying, and she's, not, and she's not singing, which is not like her. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, this is where they've all been. I mean, it, don't take that the wrong way. Like, I love that church. I'm glad that it's there. I'm sure that countless people... Countless numbers of people have been saved there in a church that like, fit their demographic. But when she looked around, she was just brokenhearted because she said, I just wish one, I just wish one would go to our church. I just want one. And I want to contrast that with a story from a, a few, maybe like a month ago, two months ago. I normally sit right here in the front row right on that corner. It's a great place because as I'm looking at the words and people are coming up to take communion, I'm just screaming in their face <laughs> the whole time as I'm singing. If you don't, yeah, you should try it. You should sit there some week. It's, it's fun. It's awkward for all of us. <laughs> but, we're, but we're sitting there, and there was, I think, I don't know if it was what it was about that weekend, but for some reason, everybody who was older, it felt like, was sitting on this side of the room And they were all walking by to take communion and she's crying again but this time she's smiling and she says look at all the gray hair do you know how precious you are to this church we need you we need your example of faithfully waiting on the lord and even if you're here today and you're older and you don't know jesus let me tell you just as kind of an aside You've experienced a lot of loss. You've experienced a lot of longing. You've experienced a lot of brokenness. Can I tell you, Jesus will give meaning to what has been so meaningless to you for years. He will take your depth of experience and use it for glory and for good, and you will experience so much joy as a result of that. But here, here's how... Here's where I'd like to, to end this. Again, Christmas is going to be hard for some of us. And you're going to wake up on Christmas morning, if you put any hope in it at all on that day being different, it's not. It's another broken day. You still are going to wake up a sinner. We're all going to wake up just as broken as we were on December 24th. We're still going to find ourselves being drawn to things that we shouldn't be drawn to, we're still going to find ourselves perhaps losing our temper with our kids when they don't like the presents that we got them, when we don't see that gratitude. Go into this week, walk out of this place, taking the example of our, our older members here, go into this place with a hope that is rightly set And for the glory of God, endure a celebratory Christmas. Wake up on December 25th, not excited just simply for all the festivities and the things that the days will bring, but wake up and just like Simeon say, I can die now. I've experienced everything that I've ever needed. All of my longings have been completely fulfilled in Jesus. He's come and he's coming again on Christmas Day when things get hard. Look forward. Look both directions. Find the hope in these places in order to endure the right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. For the glory of God, right? For our good. And um, one of the saddest days of the year is December 26th. And it's not just because we love Christmas and we're sad that it's gone. A lot of times it's because we put so much hope in that day. And then when it doesn't satisfy, it even stings more the next day when you start having to take things down. You know what I want you to do? If even just in your heart, I mean, we're going to sing it a little later this morning. As a Christian, we get to sing joy to the world every day of the year. You know, you talk about Christmas being in your heart, and usually it's like this really weird thing right? Like in the Christmas carol, he had Christmas in his heart all year, and it's like, yeah, but what does that mean? But for us, we really do have the realization that Jesus has come. We have the ability to sing joy to the world on December 26th as we're taking ornaments off the tree, because the Lord's still come. That, that verse, no more let sin and sorrow reign, nor thorns infest the ground. He's come to make his his, what is it? Blessings known. I always want to say glory. He's come to make his blessings known far as the curse is Now We can sing that any day of the year if our hope is rightly placed. If our hope is rightly placed. Let me uh, pray for us. Father, I pray that as we come into this week and, and are tempted, Lord, to become broken and despondent as a result of all that we do not have and all that we long for and all that we've lost. I pray, Lord, that while that, that bitter sweetness may remain, I pray that there would be an underlying and overwhelming joy that comes as a result of knowing what you've done to save us. I pray, Lord, for those in our church who are a little more advanced in years, that they would know what a blessing that they are, I pray for the young that are in this church that we would see them for the blessing that they are, that we would reach out and build relationships, even if it is a little scary. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for what he's done for us. We thank you for the hope that we have looking back, looking forward. We thank you that he came. We look with anticipation to the day when he'll come again.